Good morning. Whether you're joining us on the live stream or here in person, welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson, one of the co-lead ministers here at First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. And again, I welcome each of you to this, our annual question box sermon. I'll answer as many as I can in the time allotted for the sermon. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. And it's in that tradition that I invite you to greet the holy among us, either by turning to those around you if you're here in person, or by greeting one another in the comments if you're online. Please join me in the words for lighting the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine on systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our first reading is from Annie Dillard. We are here to abet creation and to witness to it, to notice each other's beautiful face and complex nature, so that creation need not play to an empty house. This congregation has a mission. It's our common religious purpose. It is rooted in our religious values, and it's the basis for how we make our decisions and form our ministries and programs. We put it on our wall, and we say it together every Sunday. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. One of the things that makes it possible for us to fulfill that mission is the annual pledges that you all give because of your generosity. And here today to talk to us about the meaning of the church to them and why they pledge are Dave and Gretchen. Good morning. For for those of you that don't know us, we are the Reels, uh, David and Gretchen, here to give our testimonials for the pledge campaign. I will start our story... My UU journey began in Dallas in 1987. In the midst of a severe personal crisis, I re-evaluated everything. When I attended that first UU service, I knew I was home. It was my first experience with a covenantal church. I found it so liberating and comforting. As a lifelong Unitarian, When I found myself in Dallas in 1987, knowing no one, the first thing I did was look for a Unitarian church. My first Sunday there was Easter, and the choir sang Leonard Bernstein's Chichester Psalms. Not only did I know I was home, I also knew I would join that choir. What I didn't know was that my plan to stay in Dallas for two years and then move back home to the Midwest would be completely derailed when I met Dave. (laughs) We became very involved with that church, and I held various leadership positions, including board chair. We pledged from our beginnings there and have ever since. 
because the church has been an important part of our lives. When my work brought us to Austin, it was natural to look for a UU church here with a strong music program. Once again, we found our church home right here at First UU of Austin. The church has provided us both with many blessings and service opportunities during our 33 years of marriage. Currently, I serve as board treasurer, and we are both in the choir loft when we can be. We are particularly grateful for the support many of you have expressed to us over this past few, past very difficult year dealing with our sons. Jonathan passed away from cancer recently. Chris, our remaining son, is also fighting this dreadful disease. We hope that you join us in renewing your connection and commitment to this church. Gretchen and I strive for a one-half tithe, 5% of our income as our pledge. This leaves us another 5% to support other causes that reflect our values. This was the model and expectation at First Church Dallas. We realize that not everyone can give at this level, but trust that you will do what you can. From my vantage point on the board, it is very clear to me that more income will be needed to recover from the survival mode this congregation has been in, in the, for the past two years. We will need increased pledge income just to replace the COVID subsidies that we received from the federal government. To increase our membership and expand our programs will require even more. If you can do more, now is the time. Please carefully consider your pledge this year. Thank you. I invite the children to come up and get a closer view of the pictures of the story. Today's story is called The Girl with Big, Big Questions. It's by Brittany Wynne Lee and illustrated by Jacob Suva. I think a lot of us here probably relate a little bit to this experience that this girl in this story has, where when we have lots of questions, and sometimes it gets to be a little too much, and maybe people don't want to answer them. Has you ever had that happen? I've had that happen too. Hey, Ani and Audrey, you'll get to see. Ani and Audrey, come sit down here. You'll see better. So let's see if we relate to this. There was once a girl with twinkling eyes and a very curious mind. This girl was always asking questions whose answers weren't easy to find. The world is so very interesting. I think so too, do you? Yeah. She wanted to learn all she could from what makes a plane stay in the sky to what makes each person good. Her days were filled with adventures galore since her mind was so full of wonder. How long can a turtle stay in its shell? Why does lightning come before thunder? I bet some of you know that, don't you? Why can't people live on the moon? What happens to stars when they fall? When will you let me stay up all night? Why even have bedtime at all? What does the dog do while I'm at school? Hey, how was the world made? And why do we have big hearts? that can feel hurt and upset and afraid. Could I fly if I got a good running start? 
The nearest volcano is where? Are monsters real? What's Spanish for blue? Is it okay to cut my own hair? Azul, that's right. (laughs) From the moment she opened her eyes for the day to the time she was tucked into bed, she'd ask and ask and ask and ask every question that popped in her head. At first, her neighbors, teachers, and friends tried to answer her wonder-filled mind. But after a while, their encouraging smiles were replaced by the rolling of eyes. They got a little tired of answering questions, didn't they? She noticed her questions were making them tense. And one day, her class hit their limit. After she'd asked a dozen things about clouds, the class hollered, Please stop it. Just quit it. That was not nice. That's right, Rowan. She was embarrassed. I would be embarrassed too. The girl tried to quiet her thoughts and not raise a voice so curious so that no one would be too uncomfortable or even worse, furious. But one day... She found the nest of a bird built low and exposed near the ground. Why would a nest not be in a tree? She wondered and then looked around. She was all by herself with no one to ask, so she ran to the library shelves. She read about cities and the lack of safe places for birds to build nests for themselves. Like hunting for treasure, she searched and learned more answers that made her frown. With an urgent report, she announced to her class, there are not enough trees in our town. The class, now moved by this information, asked questions about how to embark on a project to help both the birds and their neighbors by planting more trees in their parks. The girl knew then that big questions are good and answers aren't just things to know. They are things to discover alongside each other. Asking questions is how we all grow. Our reading is by Maya Angelou. She tells us some things that she has learned. There'll be 10 of them. I've learned that you can tell a lot about the person by the way they handle three things. A rainy day, lost luggage, and tangled Christmas tree lights. (laughs) I've learned that regardless of your relationship with your parents, you'll miss them when they're gone from your life. I've learned that making a living is not the same as making a life. And I've learned that life sometimes gives you a second chance. Six, I've learned that you shouldn't go through life with a catcher's mitt on both hands. You need to be able to throw something back. Five, I've learned that whenever I decide something with an open heart, I usually make the right decision. Four, I've learned that even when I have pains, I don't have to be one. (laughs) Three, I've learned that every day you should reach out and touch someone 
People love a warm hug or just a friendly pat on the back. Two, I've learned that I still have a lot to learn. And number one, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Now is the time in our service where we center ourselves together. We breathe together. Breathing together. Feeling each other's loving presence even through virtual space. Some of us pray. Some of us meditate. Some simply follow our breath to that deeper place inside, that place of greater wisdom, that spark of the divine within each of us. Breathing together, we enter into a time of silence together, remembering that the sounds of small children and human sounds are a part of the sacred silence in this congregation. Breathing in, breathing out, we enter into that time of sacred silence together. I invite you now to light candles, candles representing sorrows, joys, hopes, remembrances.
Well, leave it to a bunch of Unitarians. I think we're going to need three of these sermons. <laughs> so if I don't get to all of your questions... Oh, and there's more over here that I got online earlier. <laughs> so if I don't get to all of your questions, feel free to set up a time and ask me your question later on. Here's our first question. Transitions are stressful for both members and ministers. Self-care becomes more important. What forms of self-care do you practice? What do you recommend our congregation practice? Um, Let me think. I have a spiritual director that I talk to once a month, um, which is a big part of my self-care. When we found out the news about the health of our prior senior minister, Meg, and we had just been through the pandemic and other trauma, I also started seeing a counselor um, twice a month. Um, That helps a great deal. She talks to me on the phone, and she sounds just like Brene Brown. So sometimes I just close my eyes, and I'm like, I'm talking to Brene Brown. This is so cool. (laughs) Actually, I have to tell you, I think she's better than Brene Brown. She has a real spiritual bent. So... um, I love to go on meditative hikes when it's not 105 degrees outside. I have to tell you, I set up a trip to Colorado for this reason, so I could go on meditative hikes, spend some time on self-care, get out of the heat. It's going to be the coolest week we've had in Austin in months, the week that I'm in Colorado. (laughs) So, um, I think eating properly, I'm on a special diet, um, is self-care for me. Cuddling with my spouse, Wayne, and my two dogs, I'm going to get teary-eyed here, um, is part of my self-care, an important part of my life. During the winter, being in front of the fireplace is self-care. Oh, my gosh. Um, Getting plenty of sleep, and I go to the gym three days a week. Um, I have a a trainer that tortures me one of those days and then uh, designs programs for me the other two days, so staying physically in shape. As far as what self-care recommendation I would make for all of you, um, it varies so much from person to person. Whatever grounds you, um, finding the places where there's love in your life is really, really important. This church can be a big part of that. Does that make sense? Um, Various spiritual practices work differently for various people. Some pray, some do meditation, some simply get quiet and focus on their internal feelings. Um, One of the things my therapist has had me do is what's called parts concentration, where you really scan your body and figure out what's bothering me, what hurts, or what's tight, and then ask yourself, what is that trying to tell me? When she first told me that, I was kind of like, oh, this is too woo-woo for me. I have to tell you, it really, really works. Um, Again, eating properly Um, getting plenty of sleep. I think those are part of self-care. A change of atmosphere, getting out of town, doing something different is a part of self-care also, I think. So that's a long answer to the first question. I better start um, being more brief. Uh, What are the current church rules regarding COVID safety procedure? (laughs) Signed, confused. I understand why you'd been confused. We've gone through these waves of high risk, low risk, high risk, low risk. Uh, For the past several months, here's where we are and where we've been. We are recommending masking. We are not enforcing that. So we're asking people to wear masks, especially to protect those who might have an underlying condition that wouldn't feel comfortable here without 
people wearing masks. Um, so we're recommending masking while inside the building. Um, in terms of groups and that sort of thing, we have invited groups to either come back in person or to continue on Zoom, their choice. A lot of them actually chose to stay on Zoom, less because of the pandemic and more because it's so convenient and they don't have to fight rush hour to get to the church for their meetings. Um, they, the groups also decide for themselves whether to ask people in the meeting if it's in person to mask or not. Some have chosen to go without masks. Some have chosen um, to ask folks to wear masks at their particular group meeting. Um, that is likely to stay that way for a while. I am pleased to say that last week, Austin went from medium risk to low risk, according to the CDC. Um, that's wonderful news. Um, especially wonderful news is that hospitalizations due to COVID went way down. Um, the caveat I would add to that, though, and one reason that we're still being cautious here at the church is at least anecdotally, we have had more repeated uh, reported cases of COVID among church members in the last month and a half or so than in recent memory or at all, really. Um, fortunately, those folks have, if they've had symptoms, it hasn't been too, too severe, and we've had no reports of hospitalizations. But I think it's still a time to be cautious because one of the things that's happening is people are doing home tests, and those don't get reported, um, so they don't go into the CDC data. So that that has to be factored into it also. If you ever have questions about our COVID guidelines, please feel free to contact me or Shannon, our administrator, who, by the way, is out today because she has COVID. So <laughs> please send prayers to her. Why did you become a minister? Who asked me this question? When I was five years old, I told my mom I was going to be a minister when I grew up. Um, I even, I had one of those great big, they didn't have the little small cassette recorders. It was this big thing with buttons on it, a cassette recorder, and I recorded a sermon at that age. I remember it was based on a verse from John, um, for God so loved the world that he he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Well, that's a theology that went way out the window for me later on, and I'm sure it's one of the worst sermons ever preached. Um, but I recorded it and let my parents listen to it. Uh, we were Southern Baptists, though, and I reached a certain age where I said to my mom, I just don't believe this stuff. And unfortunately, because I felt also hurt by that because I ended up being gay and you know how they are about gay people. I sort of left all spirituality and religion um, behind for many, many years until I found this church, until I got on the board and started getting connected and being a part of a religious community again and finding out that there are churches that treat belief systems and each other in a very different way than what I had known of churches. And as I served on the board and, and worked within the church, I started hearing that calling to be a minister come back. Um, so the reason I came, became a minister is at some point it actually became no choice. It was what I had to do. The calling was just that strong. I remember we, actually we were in interim ministry at that time, and I went to that the interim minister. Her name was Janet and told her this was happening, and she said, well, I wondered when you were going to realize it. <laughs> so I don't know if that was affirming or not. But <laughs> um, 
What actor would play you in a movie about your life, and what genre would it be? I have to admit, I never anticipated that question. Um, You know, I did a little theater myself, so I think I would just cast myself to play myself in the movie. Uh, It would have to be a comedy drama, what do they call it, dramedy, and it would have to have a little twist, because I enjoy twisted comedy. So uh, that would be the genre, and it would be a fabulous genre. So there we go. How can First UU better serve the greater community of Austin? Thanks for that question. Um, We are really in the process of amping up our social justice programs again. Um, You just heard about some things you can do today. There's a table every Sunday. We have um, new energy and new folks coming in, and there's more that we can do now that we can be in person with other folks. So I think there's so much we can do to better serve the greater community of Austin, and we actually want to hear from you how we can do that. Um, There is so much need um, from poverty uh, to people suffering from long COVID. I don't think we've dealt with that well at all yet. Um, To the ongoing battles with the way immigrants are treated, the way trans people are treated, um, reproductive rights. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. That's why we're having those conversations every Sunday at the social justice table. So I hope you'll join that conversation because we want to form this together. It's not up to me to tell you all how you're going to make a difference in your community. I can help. I can lead. I can provide the spiritual grounding. It's up to you all to make that difference. And we want you to be a part of all that we do regarding making a difference in our community and our world. One thing I would be remiss not to mention is working for the environment and trying to mitigate global climate change because, folks, it's here and it's bad and it's going to get worse. Um, So we all have to get involved. How can UU Austin improve one year and five years? I think in this one year, going through the transition, thinking about our history, and also making an effort to, um, I don't want to use the word rebuild, respond to what happened during the pandemic. Um, We lost some membership. Um, Some of our programs, understandably, went by the wayside because people couldn't get together in person, and it really didn't work to do it virtually. So I think redoing some of that, um, reaching out to people who wandered away during the time that we had to be all virtual to invite them back. Um, And I think after the pandemic, there are a bunch of people out there in this Austin community that believe in ways very, very similar to us, but that had left church and spirituality behind also, and that there's a new craving and a new desire for communities of spirituality and places to to fulfill that feeling of being connected to something larger than oneself and just to find love in our world where it's so often missing. So I think reaching out to the local community, because I think we're one of the best-kept secrets in town, and I want to end that. I want us to reach out and invite those folks in. How do we let the world know that you can have a church without God, church is not equal to God belief? 
Um, well, we tell the world about Unitarian Universalism in this church. The great thing about UUism is you can have God or not, because that's not what determines how we come together theologically as a church. How we come together spiritually at this church, and the reason we can have a church where you don't have to have a God, is because we ground ourselves in love. We ground ourselves in covenant. We make promises to one another about the ways we're going to walk together in the ways of love and how we will call each other back into that. So when we talk about the spark of divine within each of us, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a love that isn't just an airy-fairy love, but a love that means caring and promising to each other and fulfilling those promises, taking care of one another, being there for one another. That's what our theologies, no matter how different they may be otherwise, have in common is they're rooted in that covenant of love and that spark of the divine, which I think of as that river of love in the universe that Meg Barnhouse used to talk about, flowing through and out of each each of us and growing. Uh, Let's see. Housen Hall, named for who? This is a multi-part question. And is the branch library of the same name, um, the Housen branch of the same person, their history in Austin and members still part of the congregation? So, uh, Emily Wheelock Housen is who Housen Hall was named after. Uh, She was the daughter of Reverend Wheelock, who was one of the early Unitarian ministers here in the area that really got it going. She gave $100,000 to build that. It was the church's first sanctuary. She gave $100,000 also to that City of Austin library. So, yes, they're named after the same person. I honestly don't know whether they're still in the area. I don't know that they're still involved, at least with this church. Our resident historian, um, Luther Elmore, helped me answer this question, so you might ask him about that part. Um, I didn't answer the other part of the question, but what do you envision First UU looking like in five years or ten years also? Um, I envision a church that is has grown a lot, both in membership and spirituality, and probably has or is about to launch a new UU community somewhere else in Austin, hopefully in an underserved area, not at the end of a a dead-end street where people can actually see it and go to it and know about it. Um, And that might be an area where we make an attempt, at least, to offer Unitarian Universalism to something other than middle-class white people. So um, that would be my vision in 10 years, um, is that we have grown both in numbers and in spirit. Um, What is policy governance? What are the respective roles of the Board of Trustees and the minister under policy governance? Policy governance is a form of governance that many of our churches have adopted that attempts to move the board from being involved in the day-to-day operations and running of the church into a much more policy-based, visionary role. Um, And then places the day-to-day running of the church and the supervision of the staff and that sort of thing 
in the hands of what's called the chief executive. In our church, that chief, chief executive is the senior minister, or in the case of right now, um, myself and John Alou will both be reporting to the board, so that will be in our hands. I will supervise um, the day-to-day church staff, and John Alou will supervise Aaron, who's our part-time uh, assistant minister for the interim process. Um, there is some flexibility in policy governance, especially with a church, uh, because, for instance, a church is a little different than, say, a nonprofit under policy governance, because the executive of a nonprofit under policy governance didn't do the board member's wedding or didn't do the memorial service for the board member's mom. So you have to make some exceptions. There's also some things that the congregation retains control of in a church. Uh, that normally would go to the executive, things like the final approval of the budget and any type of uh, loan or real estate transaction has to be approved by the whole congregation. And ultimately, the board does not hire the senior minister. The congregation calls the senior minister. So it's a little bit different. Let's see. Is it possible for a minister to be close friends and a minister? It's a great question. Um, The answer is, I can love you so much as your minister. I cannot be your friend. I cannot go out drinking with you and have dinner several times a week because those are conflicting roles. It puts me in having different hats, and it puts me in a position where I might actually accidentally betray the confidence of another congregant. So the answer is, as long as I am your minister, I cannot be your best friend. It's different roles, and those have to be kept separate. What do you believe happens after we die? Again, who asked me this question? I have no idea. I haven't done it yet. Um, I will tell you my own belief, which has evolved. It used to be that absolutely nothing happens after we die, um, is that while I don't think an entity named Chris Jimerson, that's the the identity and the self-standing in front of you, goes on, I think we contribute something into that river of love I was talking about that may get carried on into the future and is a part of us and reflects how we lived and what we did in this world while we were here. So... That's where I am with that right now. I welcome other people's perspectives because, as I said, I actually have no idea. I am running out of time, so I want to get in a couple of more questions that came to us online. Actually, I think I only have time for one of them. Um, What are some of your strongest memories of First UU? Um, Oh, my gosh, there's so many. Um, I'll start with my ordination. Um, back in February of 2015. Oh my gosh, that's impossible. Um, Because, of course, that was important to me. Uh, It's where a congregation says, yes, you are a minister and we're calling you that. But also because I had never been to an ordination that was like that before because the people there made it so much fun. And they were funny. And there was so much love. I remember a person that worked at the church coming up to me a couple of days after my ordination saying, "Um, there was so much love. I didn't know there was that much love in this church. 
And I've seen that good humor and that love and that warmth and that sense of community carried through time and time again in this church, whether it's just in the fellowship hall after a service or at one of our fellowship and fun events or when we're out doing social justice together. That grounding, that spiritual grounding rooted in love and support comes up for me over and over and over again in this church, and it's one of the reasons that I love serving as one of your ministers. Um, I mentioned social action. Um, Offering sanctuary to immigrants um, when we first did that really sticks in my mind. Um, I think people pulling together... Um, like at a memorial service, I am so astounded by the way that people pull together and support one another during that time of loss and have these wonderful, funny, loving memories of the person that they've lost. And even when it's a person I know, I leave it knowing them so much more because everybody has different stories. So that pulling together to support one another, I think really is one of my strongest memories of this church, and I see it over and over and over again. And also pulling together during times of challenge, um, when this church ended up dismissing a minister and there was so much turmoil. The people that remained, and and we lost people, we lost friends, and that hurt, that was hard. Um, Nevertheless, the people pulled together, worked with the interim ministry team, worked with the consultants that we brought in, and made this church a better place than where it has started and really examine what led to having to dismiss that minister so that they could make a better church. Um, The capital campaign that allowed us to add this addition to our sanctuary. Again, people came together to say, my gosh, we've got to expand because we're growing. We didn't know that the pandemic would happen at that point. And then through the pandemic, we have supported one another. We've been there for one another. And even now, I think we have challenges financially, as I said, offering ourselves to people that need us, um, getting through the interim ministry time in a way that's helpful and beneficial to the church. I have no doubt that you will rise to that challenge because I've seen you do it over and over and over again. And we are here today after a pandemic because you were up to it. And we don't know yet what the world looks like after the pandemic, and we can't yet dismiss that it's different than it was before. One of our challenges is we have to make decisions without all the knowledge we need because we don't yet know how the world has changed because of the pandemic. We will find out. We will struggle through it together. And as I said, I know you can do it because you have that spiritual grounding in love and support, and the world needs that more than anything right now. So thank you all for wonderful questions. I'm sorry there's still this many I didn't get to, but feel free, as I said, to send me an email or set up a time to talk with me. Please join with me, if you like, in the words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Ours is a faith that has been said to pose questions more profound than answers. Thank you for your questions today. 
As we go back out into our world now, may we keep asking the questions while also maintaining the faith that sustains us. I send you much love. May the congregation say amen Amen. and blessed be. be. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.